Got a few announcements for you, and then we'll have our, our call to worship. So Austin and family are at home this week. They're watching online. So all but Austin has COVID. This all developed from last Sunday night to now. So uh, he is he remains unscathed, but he's just uh, being precautious and staying home, So, which I'm sure many, if all of you, are not thankful for that. So um, so pray for them. They're doing well, uh, doing well with it. They're, they're, they're fine. Um, we know that some people are not, but they are fine. So praise the Lord for that. So a few announcements. Let me let you know a few things. First of all, a thank you. I don't know who coordinated it or whatever, but it was really a blessing just to find out about it. But we had um, uh, Dustin Martin, Nathan Hutchison, Aaron O'Neill, and Evan Deal, who were all up here yesterday. First of all, we had an HVAC problem. You can see that drop tile right there that's looking a little swollen. It's not going to fall on you. It might, but, you know. You know, just second baptism type of thing, whatever. So we got it taken care of. All right. Now you're going to be worried about it. You know. um, so, uh, but Aaron brought his HVAC skills to the table, and he worked on the unit up there and got us taken care of there. So, so major thank you to Aaron O'Neill and his tremendous skills, uh, not only with guitar but with HVAC. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, Dustin Martin and, and Nathan Hutchison came, and they – they cleaned the carpet for us. I don't know what precipitated that, but I'm thankful. So they cleaned the carpet, and they cleaned about six or seven chairs that had stains on it. All right, so thank you so much to you guys who took care of that. Evan said that he came just to manage those guys, so I don't know what he did exactly, but he did something. He brought hot dogs. Okay, okay, so thank you so much, uh, Evan Dill, for your managerial skills watching over those those guys. Uh, We've told you about chairs. Um, obviously, we don't have everybody here, but we're still, we are still filling up pretty good. We, are, we brought out our old blue chairs. I know they don't match, and for someone like me that has a slight obsessive-compulsive issue going whenever something like this happens, it bothers me. So if it bothers you, don't worry. We're getting some other chairs. Not that it matters. We've ordered 36 chairs. We've been talking about that for a week. It's going to be October before they come in because of uh, just because of how uh, long shipping takes nowadays. So, um, uh, again, thank you for those who gave specifically for that and said, hey, we want to we want to we want to help out with this cause. Thank you so much. It's going to be put to good use. And uh, we're going to we're going to increase our our cheers here. Uh, again, we're camping. The guys are camping, Haven Ridge camping trip over at the Groves the first weekend in October. That's the first Friday in October. If you can't make that, we do have intentions of, of maybe trying to get out there uh, again. Travis, I'm just letting you know our intentions are to get out there again. Okay, so, uh, so if you miss this one, all hope is not lost. You know, we'll try to get out there again and just whoever can show up and, and camp out. Um, but keep in mind, the week prior to that, try to be in touch with Travis. We'll try to make an announcement. We do spend some time cleaning some stuff up. You know, I know uh, Stephen and Jamie and Travis spent a lot of time last year making that real accommodating. So we're going to have to do that again because everything grows up and grows out. And so we need to get that more accommodating for, for camping. So um, also... Uh, I need to send the measurements, but we've we've we're getting blinds that are going to cover every window that we have in here. Some of that is for safety, some of that is protection. I know for safety we want to be able to look out, but it's also to minimize some of the heat back there. Uh, for those that work at the sound booth, this time of day it gets really, really, really hot in the summer because that sun just is like you know it's like a magnifying glass, you know, zeroing in that heat right on their backs. So uh, Sarah's stepdad, Alan, is donating blinds so that we can uh, we can have those. So. Um, thank you, Alan Anderson and Paula Anderson, if you ever see this. So, um, but we've told them thank you. 
If you look over here, you see this kind of pinkish white sheet. That is for the girls' uh, Bible study that's starting up in September. I believe that's September 11th, September 12th, somewhere around in that time, that, that Sunday. Uh, and so that's just an information sheet. I may have said sign up. But if I did, I didn't mean to. So that's an information sheet. If you are not signed up or if you have signed your, your girl up and you want to know what that's about, there's, a, there's some information for you so you can know kind of what's, uh, what's going to happen there. We're going to have kind of a back-to-school bash, uh, back-to-school pool social type thing, September the 4th. That's going to be 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Groves. That's a potluck deal. So a potluck, and bring, bring enough for you plus one or enough for your family plus one, and also bring a drink, if you will. You know, if you want to bring a dessert, that's fine. If everybody brings dessert, we might, be, we might have a problem. So if you're going to bring a dessert, put it on round, put it on our social media, do something like that. Let us know, let Caroline know, let someone know so that we can kind of know who's bringing what, if they're bringing something other than just entree-type stuff. Men's gathering tonight at 6.30. Sarah is on call today, so um, I plan on leading that. Encourage all of you men to be here. I think it'll be an encouraging time tonight. Um, But if Sarah's on call, I will not be able to attend, and somebody will. So some of y'all just be ready because you're all on call right now to lead. All right, so that's going to be this evening at 6.30 right here. I think that's all I have. Good deal. All right. Well, it's good to see everybody here today. Um, I'm going to ask, uh, I think it was Jamie, going to come up and lead us in our call to worship, and then we'll, we'll unite together as we worship. Good morning, everyone. Again, welcome to the, the visitors that are with us. Um, I'm going to use another verse from Song of Solomon to kind of follow up what Austin started last week. <clears throat> this, uh, this book is sometimes considered just poetry, um, sometimes just uh, to demonstrate the love between a man and his wife. I personally think it can be used to demonstrate Christ's love for us, his bride. So I'm going to read uh, chapter 4, verse 9, and he says, You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. And don't think it weird when he says, my sister, my bride, that's just a, just in a way to express a double honor, you know, to um, maybe to demonstrate like the permanence of a, of a sibling relationship. So as we worship today, as we walk with Christ, um, let's try to remember how he sees us and let's pray together. Father, thank you again for a chance to come back to your house. I pray that we worship today. I pray that you give us clear minds and focus on you. I pray for the band as they lead us. I pray that we would just worship you in spirit and truth, and all things done and said will be bring honor to your son. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Stand with us, if you will, please.
introduce you to another song this week. It's uh, called Shepherd by City of Light. So uh, pretty easy to catch on to. So I encourage you to sing along with us on this one.
for I know you are with me. You will always provide. And though the path may be lonely, you will stay by my side. And I will rest my soul. I'll trust in you.
Christ is mine forevermore. Christ is mine. 
this morning so if you'll bow your heads with me Lord I just thank you so much um, that we can be here together and we can just be still and we can rest together in who you are Lord that we can collectively sing your praises to sing your truths from scripture Lord we understand that around the world that's not possible everywhere Um, so we just thank you for that grace that you allow us to be together. God, we just pray for our missionaries. Lord, we have those that we support in Africa, in China, and in Bangladesh, and in Ireland, Lord. We thank you for the chance to partner with them. We thank you for their calling to go. We understand that we're all called to share and disciple, and we just praise you that you've called some to go, to leave their families, and to sacrifice, and we just thank you so much for them. And God, I know that some aren't able to be in those areas of calling right now. God, I just pray that this time for them will be one of rest and growth. Lord, that you help them to be content where they are for now. Lord, that this will be a time of prepping, um, of pruning. God, Lord, that you will uplift them or undo things that may need to be undone within them. God, I just pray that You will protect and provide for their families in this time financially, spiritually, emotionally, Lord. God, we pray for good health for them. And God, we just pray for their places of calling, the people that are there. We pray that you begin to soften their hearts for the gospel, Lord. I've been reading through Acts this week, and I've just been so encouraged by how the Holy Spirit emboldens us and empowers us to speak the gospel and how your Holy Spirit can make way for the gospel and do things with the gospel that is just impossible by the power of man. And God, so we just pray that your Holy Spirit will strengthen them, that you will give them the boldness, that you will give them the words to say where they are. God, we just pray that as a church, Lord, that we will be supportive of them, that you will embolden us as well where we are to be missionaries to learn from them. I pray that this time, if we have missionaries close to home, Lord, that we will take the opportunity to grow with them, to get to know them better, and to encourage them. God bless this time that we have together. I pray that we'll grow in truth today, that you'll be glorified by what we do here in your church. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat for this next song. And kids, y'all can be dismissed whoever's going with Miss Kelly.
y'all want to stand and sing this last song with us?
Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning for the blood of Jesus Christ that was applied to our account. We do know that without it, we would be hopeless, we would be lost in our sin, guilty, condemned, unclean. But because of the blood of Christ and his willingness to sacrifice himself on our behalf, we have the opportunity to stand before you and to have you see us clothed in Christ's righteousness, not because of our own worth or our own value, but because Christ has imputed his righteousness to us on our account. We thank you so much for the book of Galatians, and as Paul relates what it means to be a sinner saved by grace, I pray that you would bless Alan as he breaks the word before us this morning, that our hearts would be challenged, that we would be changed, that as we go forth from here, we would be light in a world that needs you to be their sure and steady anchor. We thank you for you who are our sure and steady anchor. During turbulent times when our world, when our country seems to be uh, at great conflict with one another, we have you as our sure and steady anchor, and we have the word of God, which gives us everything we need to live a pure and godly life. So I pray that as the word is preached this morning, that it would wash over us, that it would cleanse us, that any sin we might be harboring might be brought to light so that we might deal with it. And God, I pray for the transforming power of Christ to be evident this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you can open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians again. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, look at verse 11. We'll be looking at verse 11 through 14 today. Uh, I meant to say it earlier, a congratulations to Samantha and Zyre. Engagement, well done. Here you go. I knew it was coming, but I kept a secret, right? Well, I kind of knew it was coming, huh? Oh, that's right. Hey, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a loud mouth when it comes to secrets. So, uh, hey, congratulations. Praying for you guys and... All that great stuff, man. Um, my, uh, I guess you would be a, a great aunt. They just celebrated 57 years together, she and her, she and her husband. So I called her yesterday because that's a, it's quite remarkable. You know, 57 years in this day um, is quite remarkable. You know, so praise the Lord for marriage. Praise the Lord for his grace in keeping us. It doesn't always work out. Marriage is tough, you know. So praise the Lord for his grace in, in sustaining people, um, you know, because I know I know how difficult it can be because my wife is married to me, so I understand that. Uh, speaking of which, today I want to talk a little bit about conflict, but about necessary conflict. This is just where we are in the text, okay? Uh, this is not precipitated from anything but the text. So Galatians chapter 2. But I do want to talk through the scriptures. For those of you that are visiting with us for the first time, just to be clear, uh, what you can expect here is expositional preaching. Uh, Austin, and I like to, Austin and I like to walk verse by verse through a text and try to mine out everything that's there. Uh, there are much greater preachers that could take the Word of God and mine out a lot more than me, but as far as what the Holy Spirit is showing me and taught me in my studies, that's what you're stuck with, okay? So this is, uh, this is what we do here. So if you're um, 
so that's, that's what you're going to get. If you continue visiting here and if it becomes an interest for you to become a part of this body, that's what you can expect. And so as we arrive to this place in Galatians, you have a bit of a confrontation. So the context of Galatians, remember this, we have to go back to that context, is Galatians, right out of the gate, Paul says, I'm astonished that you, ha- you are so quickly deserting him. You're so quickly deserting him who had called you by the grace of Christ and are returning or are turning to a different gospel. So there's reason for Paul to be astonished. There's reason for Paul to be a little bothered by this because the gospel that he proclaimed to them, the gospel through which they came to faith in Christ, the gospel that gave them new identity, that gave them true purpose, you know, that answered all these crazy questions of life, because that's really one of the beauties of the gospel in Christianity, is all these other religions, all these other belief systems, they don't really answer the question of the purpose of life. They don't really answer the question of um, uh, an objective standard of morality. They don't really answer these questions about meaning, but Christianity does. We have meaning, we have purpose, we have intent, we have a scope, we have a job, we have a task in Christianity. And the gospel is where all of this begins because it transforms us. And the Galatians are moving away from that. They're being coerced, they're being seduced into, uh, look, the cuteness is killing me up here, okay? I'm, I'm mess- it doesn't bother me at all. It is super, super cute, you know? Um, so, sorry, I didn't mean to, I, Carter's, I'm not trying to embarrass y'all, uh, Nora is precious, and those noises are precious, so please know that those things don't bother me at all. I am a man. I can compartmentalize and ignore everything else going around me. My, my wife can attest to that. So back to the text. He says that they're returning or turning to another gospel, not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So Paul is upset about these things. So that's, that's the context here. Okay, and then we saw last week that there were false brothers that were creeping into the church. And Paul catches word of that, so he goes to Jerusalem. He meets with these people at Jerusalem. He meets with the who's who at the church, and he talks about this problem. And he says, here's the gospel that I preach. Here's, here's what was revealed to me, not by man, but by Christ himself. And here's what I give to them. They didn't push back on that. They didn't have issue with that. It was a gospel very contrary to a works-based gospel. It was a gospel that didn't require circumcision for salvation, but something quite other, a circumcision of the heart, a regeneration, a replacing of a heart of stone with a heart of flesh that is done and done exclusively in Christ. And so now we get to this interesting moment here in Galatians chapter 11. But before I read that, because I didn't unpack all these things last week, I want to read through verse 6 to 11 just to fill in any gap. So after he had talked about those false brothers, as he had talked about not yielding in submission even for a moment so that he might preserve the true gospel, here's what he has to say. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So Paul says, hey, we were given clear marching orders 
the expectation was clear. You know, uh, I, I'm going to go to these people. These apostles are going to go to those people, and that's going to that's going to cover the scope. It's going to cover the span of of who we're supposed to go to. But something happens. It says when Cephas or when Peter came to Antioch, Paul says I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself because he was fearing the circumcision party. We've already talked about them. Paul's always combating this circumcision party, these that would come in of high influence, of high repute when it comes to Judaism. And they would try to enforce or really, really promote this idea that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. You must be physically circumcised in order to be spiritually saved. And so Paul takes issue with Peter because Peter is reclining at the table with these Gentiles, Peter being a Jew. And then the Jews come and they're pushing something a little bit different. Maybe they're giving him a little bit of flack. And rather than standing up and saying, no, 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 this is what the gospel has done, like he did not long before this moment at the Jerusalem council. Remember he stood up there? Remember he boldly talked about Christ? He talked about the fact that he was the cornerstone that you rejected. He stood in the face of all these people and we're on our seats or we're on our, you know, out of our seats standing up. Yes and amen, Peter, go get him. And now he's faltering again. And so Paul's upset with him because he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And it says in verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. And then Barnabas was even led astray by their hypocrisy. And Paul says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, or I said to Cephas before all of them, I mean, he's calling him out. He's believers across the board. They got things wrong. They were struggling with these things. And I, I love thinking this way because, you know, it, 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 I'm reminded of the freedom that I have as a, as a human, as an imperfect man, to wrestle through things and to not have all the answers. You know, if you ever come here expecting me to have all the answers and be right about everything, I'm going to disappoint you. You know, if that's, if that's what a church has to be for you, this is not the place for you because I'm not going to be that. I'm going to labor and I'm going to study and I'm going to present and I'm going to argue and I'm going to wrestle with what I believe the Scripture is saying and try to always be a student of that. But far be it for me to ever say, you know, I've got it all figured out, right? So Christianity has now been around for 2,000 years, and we've had the, because the first Christians were called Christians in Antioch there in the book of Acts. And what's interesting is we've had the Old Testament scriptures for even longer than that, and we've had the New Testament scriptures for a little bit less of a time than that. And we're still debating over things, right? We're still, we're still wrestling with things that the scripture answers. We just can't figure out exactly exactly maybe where they're landing. And I don't think it's a Bible problem. I think it's a human problem, right? We still argue over things. We argue over things like cessationism versus continuationism, you know, with regards to the gifts. I mean, we argue over these things. Maybe you land in the middle. Maybe you're a I'm a pendulum left or I'm a pendulum right type of guy or gal. We wrestle with these things. We wrestle over Calvinism and Arminianism. You know, for those that say, I don't wrestle, you wrestle with pride. It's all these things, right? So we, we all wrestle. We all wrestle with these things. I feel confident in what I believe, but I wrestle with it because there are great questions that have to be answered that are raised against what maybe I believe. 
We're wrestling with things. Dispensationalism versus all the other correct biblical views against dispensationalism. That was a joke for any dispensationalist. So the truth about these doctrines has been right under our noses for 2,000 years or more. We still, we still can't agree fully, right? And without answering what that, what that implies, you can make the implication, right? Um, so that's the setting. So there's tremendous grace given here, um, not, for, not for Peter, <laughs> but, for, but for this church, as, 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 as we'll see things, in this context. Um, so I showed you the setting. I want to talk through the offense. I want to talk through the offense with you. Look at verses 12 through uh, 14. So again, we know that Paul confronts Cephas, opposes him to his face, not walking in step with the gospel. He gives the explanation. He gives the reason why he opposes him, you know, in the latter verses. He says, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself. This is, he says, I've opposed him because he's not walking in step with the gospel. You say, well, how was he not walking in step with the gospel? Here's the answer. He drew back and separated himself once these men from James came and saw him eating with the Gentiles. Now, some of you may know this answer, and if you do, please come and talk to me. Um, Scholars debate on this. Who were the men from James? There's a lot of speculation. Uh, So I don't know for sure. It doesn't change the outcome or the application of the text. But, but, But here's two schools of thought. It's either Jewish Christians who have come in, and uh, either Jewish Christians who have come in who are still uh, kind of tainted or influenced by Judaism. And so they're not ready to let go of this circumcision deal because it says that Peter recused himself or he recoiled or he backed away or separated himself. Why? Because he feared the circumcision party, right? So a, a clear reading of the text to me makes me think that it's not Jewish Christians necessarily as some hold. And that's okay if it is. I don't, I don't know for sure, okay? But the other possibility is maybe it's like those who are the false brothers he just mentioned. Or maybe it's the circumcision party. Maybe it's not those who have infiltrated the church like he's addressing here in the previous text. But now that he's reflecting on something that happened in the past represented in Acts chapter 15, maybe that, or, or, or in Acts, that he's, I think it's Acts chapter 10, that he's reflecting on, an, on, on a moment then. Maybe that's, maybe, that's where he's, maybe that's where he's coming from. And maybe he's saying, hey, those men that came in Acts 12, those were ones coming to Antioch. Those were the ones who influenced Peter, and they were not Christians. I don't know. I tend to think maybe not believers because Peter feared the circumcision party. Now, maybe that was a direct fear. Maybe that was indirect. Maybe it was Christians who came in. They were just wrong. And because he feared those that were the circumcision party, that it would affect him and he'd be persecuted. I don't know for sure. I looked, I studied, I read, and I read, and I reread the same stuff on both sides, but was just know that it's, it's, it's debated. But I, my position currently is that these were unbelievers because of what a straight reading of the text says. So that's the offense. Peter was not walking in step with the gospel. Uh, how was he not walking in step with the gospel? He drew back and separated himself when it really mattered the most. It really mattered the most. So let's kind of unpack why this was so offensive. Because it's one thing to understand that something's offensive, but it's helpful to know why and by what degree. You know, is this really that offensive? Or is there a strong rationale behind Paul's public rebuke of Peter? Peter's offense was fourfold. 
as I understand, just looking at the text and thinking on this for a week. The first I see is that he bore false witness with regards to his identity in the gospel by becoming a hypocrite. And Paul uses a word or employs a word here, hypocrisis, which is a word that belongs to the world of theater. It's to wear a mask. The idea is that he had donned himself with a mask. He had become an imposter, right? We understand theater. I mean, that's kind of the nature there. You act a role. You, you, you enter into a role that is not you. You know, that's why a lot of people are in theater and they love it so much because they get to be someone they're not. You know, uh, I watched an episode of a TV show once upon a time where the girl talked so much about loving to be a waitress because for every person that she would serve, she would either, uh, uh, you know, pretend that she was from the Ukraine or she would try out this different backstory. Now, is she deceiving and lying? Yeah, sure. But the sentiment is that she's play acting. For everybody that she comes to, she's play acting. She's someone else. And this is why this was so offensive, because Peter did this. And because he was play acting, he then becomes a hypocrite. And God hates hypocrites. So Paul employs this word referring to the act of wearing a mask or playing a part in a drama. Peter had put on the mask of pretense when Peter drew back and separated himself. He was acting a part, listen to this, that was contrary to his true and deepest convictions. And men, we would probably look at a man like that and say, that's no man at all. A man that tables his truest and deepest convictions and acquiesces to the pressures around him, we would say, that's no man. That's not what being a man is. And this is exactly what Peter did. He became a play actor. And so Paul's not having it. This wasn't a mistake. This wasn't a a goof up on Peter's part. This was cowardice, and this was weakness. This was a decision that Peter made. Peter wasn't confused on the issue. Was it a complex situation? Sure. He was eating with these Gentiles. Was, was it new and uh, a bit risky in some senses? Sure, sure. But was he confused about it? No. Was there a mistake? No. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that when he gathered with these people that there would be those that would balk at that. That the Judeo or the, or, the, or the world of Judaism around him would take issue with that. Not to mention the fact that it wasn't long before this that they persecuted unto death his master. This had to send mixed messages to the Gentiles he was eating with. And think about that. They're, they're now, they can be a part of this. Probably they're very optimistic with Peter, a Jew, not just a Jew, but an apostle, not just an apostle, but the one who they call the rock is sitting there with them. This is, this is Peter. It's offensive because it works to subvert and invalidate the gospel. Not only the believer, but the believer's claims are quickly discredited when hypocrisy muddies the water. So this is an offense. This is why Paul rebuked him so strongly. I said it was fourfold. A second is he bore false witness and misrepresented the gospel itself. I told you a moment ago the gospel establishes true freedom. Or or, or, um, I taught that last week. For more on that, go back to last week's sermon. But the gospel establishes true freedom. And what he did negated that. 
by him backing up, he's acquiescing to this circumcision party, to the naysayers, to the, to the ways of Judaism. So what are these Gentiles supposed to think? Of course, of course it's going to be confusing to them. Of course those waters are going to be muddied. And of course, that's why it's an offense. But not only that, the gospel broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. I mentioned that a moment ago, Ephesians 2. But thirdly, the gospel is inclusive. It's inclusive with regards to the Gentiles. It does not exclude the Gentiles. But what Peter did sent a message to them that said, it does exclude you because you're not circumcised. Or it places parameters on what it would mean for them to be included and false parameters at that. So he bore false witness and misrepresented not just his identity in the gospel, but the gospel itself, because the gospel is freedom. The gospel breaks down that barrier of the dividing wall, and by removing himself, he was putting that barrier back up and throwing a kink in everything, and then the gospel is inclusive, and he was making it more exclusive. Salvation is exclusive, because Jesus says, there is one way to God the Father, and it is through Jesus. But the gospel is inclusive because it's the power of God to all who believe. Thirdly, he led others into the same hypocrisy. He fell into hypocrisy by removing himself, and then he led others to do the same thing. It's one thing to act in a manner inconsistent with the claim of being a Christ follower. It's another thing to lead others into the same source of action or the same kind of action. If God hates your hypocrisy, how much do you think he hates you leading others into their own hypocrisy? It's a big deal. It's this idea that somebody's always watching. You're always discipling someone. I think there's some application there for us in the way that we live and move and have our being, the way that we conduct ourselves. You know, my kids watch the way that I speak to my wife, their mother, my sons. My oldest son especially, he's going to remember how I treated his mother. Is that going to affect the, uh, yeah, is that going to affect the way that he treats his wife? The way that I show affection to my wife, is that going to affect the way that he does or doesn't show affection to his wife? The way that we handle conflict, the way I treat my wife and we walk through and navigate conflict, and he witnesses that because he's a disciple of mine. Whether I like it or not, is he going to adopt the same or employ the same principles? If my conflict management is good, I hope so, but if it's bad, I hope not. Because I'm, I'm leading him down the same path that I'm on with my influence. And I do believe that when I stand before God, I will answer for that if I've led in a negative way. I will not answer for his sins, and I will not answer for your sins. I will answer for mine, but mine might have an effect that reaches farther than just my person. And this is what Peter's guilty of. And fourthly, he, led the fe- he let the fear of man have preeminence over the fear of God. Now, I've preached on that before, so I won't take a lot of time to talk about fear. But I bring it up because it's right here in the text. Listen again. These men from James came. He was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. Why? Fearing the circumcision party. He was afraid. Peter has reverted back to old ways. And as sad as this is, it's also hopeful because how many of us or myself are not on a roller coaster sometimes where we're, we're strong for the Lord and then we tank one day. It's like, you know, well, welcome to the club. The apostles did the same thing. Welcome to the club. You know, that's, 
I don't, I don't, I don't say this trying to be funny or, or as a false humility, but I, I, I love that Peter's represented in the Bible so much because I identify with him so well. <laughs> because, because that's my life. Lord, I feel strong for you. Lord, I was bold for you today. Lord, I was not shaken. I did not submit. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I fail. And my love for the world surpassed my love for Christ. And this is what Peter did. I mean, he denied Jesus three times because he was afraid. He was afraid of the same party, the same people that I think are now influencing him now. So that is the offense. But let's talk about the response. So how did Paul respond to this? Well, it says in verse 11, he opposed him to his face. He opposed him to his face. And if you look at the last statement in verse 14, this is what he said to him. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? He basically gets in his face and says, you're a hypocrite. I mean, it's bad enough that Jesus told Peter once upon a time, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Now Paul's coming up to him. You're a hypocrite, man. And this isn't the first time you've been a hypocrite. You're definitely being one now. And you're making a mockery of the gospel. You're misrepresenting the gospel. You're falsifying the true hope that's in you. And you're leading people, including Barnabas, who's in the... Who's, who's going into the same hypocrisy that you're guilty of. So this is how Paul confronted him. I like this because it emphasizes the severity of the situation. Sometimes I live vicariously through those who are bold enough to confront others. So I read this, I'm like, yeah, yes, yes. Wish I could be that way. I'm not. <laughs> if I've got to confront you, it's like, hey, let's talk. You know, I love you. I love you. But you're dumb. You know, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, I don't, I don't say that. I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't say that. I've been confronted before, and it's crushed me. I've been confronted before, and it was, it was done really well. Um, it's necessary, but it can, be, it can be tough. But Paul goes after him because of what's at stake, right? I mean, that's, that's why the strength of his attack is, man, you are misrepresenting the gospel. All this work, Jesus' death, all that we're doing the last 14 years that Paul's been laboring for the gospel, now he's catching word that another apostle is kind of, nullifying that in a sense what the art of confrontation is lost i think in large part today and this is not everybody and this is this is uh well this is everybody to a degree but this is not necessarily specific to any one thing but i think it's easy because of the screens that we sit behind sometime right we hide behind screens cyberspace and anonymity it's easy to be bold and confrontational when no one knows who the one that's confronting you is, right? You know, that would be my game, all right? That would be what I would love to do if I could get away with that, you know, uh, in my spirit, you know? I, but the problem is I would be in trouble with the Lord because I would come down super hard, right? Um, but the Lord is, is gracious to me in so many ways that I don't have time to express right now. I think Peter needed to hear Paul's voice. He needed to see his eyes. He needed to read Paul's body language, these nonverbal as well as verbal forms of communication help to get Paul's point across. I think this face-to-face confrontation was absolutely necessary. Again, not prescriptive of how we should confront every time because we understand that if you're behind a screen, tone's misunderstood, intent is misunderstood. You know, unless you're going to provide a parenthetical expression for everything you didn't mean to say, it can be misunderstood. So face-to-face was the way to go. And it was strong. Paul was upset. 
my daughter gets on me is not the right word. My, my Marley, now she's paying attention. Um, I have a tendency, I get on to Marley like once a year, okay, okay. And she's like, Daddy, Daddy, why, why do you sound so frustrated when you get on him? I'm like, could it be because I'm frustrated? She's like, well, why can't you use a happy voice when you get on to me? Something like that. You know, am I representing you well, Marley? No. Okay. Well, you're going to get it again after this. So <laughs> we, I, you know, if some, my thing is, look, let me just illustrate this. If, if somebody is, if in my home, I'm like, here's, here's what I expect of you. You have chores to do. I want you to not only start the chore. Here's a novel idea. Finish it as well. Okay. That's, that's, that's all I'm asking. Right, and there's a struggle with that at my house. Start it, finish it. You know. You know. Recently, if towels are left on the floor, I take all the towels in the house and I throw them on the floor and let whoever left the towel on the floor fold it up and put it away. It teaches them life skills. They're learning to fold clothes. This is a great thing. Okay, this is a great thing. I'm not beating my kids. I'm just getting them to learn a skill, the skill of folding my towels. But we still have a struggle. And so I get frustrated. I try to employ these different forms of discipline or parenting. You know? And I pride myself a little bit on my creativity. But another, another, for another time. But Marley, she doesn't like when I say, Marley Joe, I asked you to put your towel away. And that to her is a frustrated voice. She wants a happy voice. You know? She wants me to be delightful and happy when I'm, when I'm dropping the disciplinary bomb on her. And I struggle with that a little bit. Sometimes I believe hearing your tone, looking in your eyes, seeing body language helps to communicate the severity of a situation best. And this is what's happening in Paul's response. He's not having it. Paul sees something that he's labored so hard for being misrepresented, and it's leading others into hypocrisy. The same conviction that drove Paul to attend this meeting to preserve the purity of the gospel against the false brothers, as, as we're talking about in, in the book of Galatians here, that same motivation is the same conviction, the same motivation driving Paul to confront Peter here as he remembers it's an issue of gospel preservation. It was an issue of gospel preservation, you know, with, with the false brothers coming in. It's an issue of gospel preservation for him to confront Peter here. It's, if, if there's a hill to die on, if there's, a, if there's a, a fight to fight, if there's a battle or a war to wage, it's over the gospel. It is. If there's confrontation to be had, if there's stern remarks or rebukes or admonishments to be offered, it's over the gospel. So Paul is again fighting to preserve the purity of that gospel. And this time he's fighting one of his own. And that's what's interesting here. We have to do that sometimes, don't we? We expect to fight for the purity of the gospel with those who don't uphold the true gospel. We expect to wage war over the purity of the gospel when we're talking to a Mormon. Or when we're talking to a Jehovah's Witness. Or when we're talking to someone who's a pluralist or a universalist or an easy believism proponent or someone who adheres to a prosperity gospel. We have no problem with that. Yes, the purity of the gospel. Man, let me let me let me, let me bear these spiritual arms and and take it to the fight. 
But do we expect to fight for gospel purity against our own brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, that happens too. You might yes and amen Paul's response to Peter's conduct. But let me ask you this. How would you respond if you were on the receiving end of that admonishment? How would you deal with an elder or with a brother or sister in Christ coming to you saying, you're not walking in step with the gospel? Would you pack up your toys and go home? Thus becoming the hypocrite? If you're saying, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, but it's not in step, it's hypocrisy. And if we're called out in that, how do we respond? I think that's important. In this specific text, we don't see Peter's response right here. But we know that Peter took it, received it, and adjusted. Hey, brother or sister, let me ask you this. You claim to be a lover of Christ and his bride. But yet, you rarely gather with the saints. I would say that's not walking out in step with the true gospel because the same gospel has brought you into a family that has been custom-made for you to share life with. If that was said to you, would you balk at that? Would you kick against the goads when something like that was said? Because if you pack up your toys and go home, you are the hypocrite. You're what Paul is addressing here in Galatians 2. If you're the hypocrite, you misrepresent what the gospel is. And I know that's more nuanced than some black and white understanding. You know, because what do you mean? What do you mean that I misrepresent the gospel if I, if, you know, if, if, you know, if, if the pattern of my life is not with the saints? What do you mean? Yeah, there's, there's, we, we, we unpack that, we mind that out. But suffice it to say that these are the expectations, and if we're claiming to be this and this and that, but certain things are not in step, then we'd say we're not in step with the gospel. This is what the church is mandated to do for one another, to one another. Let the word of Christ, Colossians three sixteen. let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. If we yes and amen Paul's admonishment to Peter, but pack up our toys and go home, then we, when we are admonished, we become the hypocrite. Paul admonishes Peter here, listen to this, because gospel purity is indispensable to church unity. If you lose gospel purity in the church, you start to lose church unity. Because it is, despite how different we are, it is what binds us. Because with the gospel, you get the sealing of the Holy Spirit. You get all of these things. And then we're told we have to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. A part of that is preserving the purity of the gospel. When we lose that, you lose church unity. That's why Paul offers the response. The conflict within the church is often worthy of discussion, but rarely worthy of division. But when the conflict pertains to gospel purity, it's a necessary battle. And let me finish with this application. While it's good advice to pick your battles, gospel purity is always, always, always a battle worth fighting. We agree. It's, it's, it's wise to pick your battles, especially with those who will hurt you in that battle, right? I got into a lot of fights when I was younger. I won a lot of fights when I was younger. You know why? Why? 
because I didn't fight dudes that could whoop me. I talked my way out of it. Hey, man, why waste your time on me? I'll never forget. I hope he watches this one day. But a guy named Justin Frazier showed up at my house one day, intent on whooping me. Because, yeah, I said some trash about his girlfriend. Well, we're sixth graders, you know. It was, she was my girlfriend, and he took her. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking smack, right? I'm like, man, I wish he'd try that again. I'll whoop you know, and he caught word of it. He's coming to my house. I'm scared to death. I'm like, this is not good. My mommy and daddy's not home. I'm by myself. He's going to beat me into oblivion, and that's going to be all she wrote. And he's still going to get the girl. Jerk, right? So he shows up to my door, and I'm like, hey, man, what's going on, man? You know, so I lay it on thick. I'm like, hey, man, why, why would you waste your time on someone like me? I mean, you got the girl. Clearly, you're the better dude. I can't remember how I articulated this as a six-year-old, but it was that because I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember being there. I remember being afraid, and I remember him going from clenched fists and, you know, gritted teeth to be like, yeah, man, you would be a waste of my time. Yeah, we agree. We found some commonality. You know, I'd, you'd get blood on your fists. You don't want that. You know, I'd probably vomit on you. You know, we're not doing that. So he walked away. I survived. But now there was another friend that we were playing baseball, and he hit a home run off of me, and that's a reason to fight. So we go to the woods, and we're going to take care of business, right? So he was somebody that I thought I could whip. I know, it's shallow and, and dumb, but where was the Paul in my life to rebuke me, right? Pick your battles. Unfortunately, believers get tangled up in second-tier issue, issues and disagreements that create first-tier problems within the church. Most of, our fighting, uh, most of our fighting is usually rooted in self, rooted in our own idolatry, rooted in misunderstanding, rooted in pride. I mean, James kind of hits the nail on the head in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what is the reason for the fighting and the quarreling among you? It's because your passions are at war within you. You want, you desire, self, 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 self. You don't get, therefore you murder. You covet, you don't have. So your response is sin. Let me encourage you to pick battles that are necessary to fight with grace and to fight with restorative purposes and reconciliatory purposes. The purity of the gospel is always worth confrontation. The last note of application. The fight for the gospel purity is often combated with gospel fluency. Now, most of you have heard us talk about this, but let me introduce you to this in brief. This is the idea that the gospel verbiage, the language of the gospel, is the native tongue to every Christian. It should be what we are uh, most fluent in. And that is that we look at a brother and sister in Christ who they claim to be having identity in through the gospel. And we speak to that claim. And we say, listen, you say that you're this, like Paul to Peter. You say that you're in this and that the dividing wall has been torn down. And that you experience this wonderful, lavished freedom. Yet you don't live like that. And you lead others to not believe that. So that's gospel fluency. He's saying you're not in step with the gospel because the gospel says this, but you say something else. It's the native tongue of every believer. It's the language of identity. And it gets to the root of the problem and demands that people walk in step with their true identity rather than trying to conjure out of people moralistic responses or behavioral patterns. We speak gospel to them. And that's what Paul does here for Peter. As Peter says, again, to finish, I said to Peter before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, 
and like a Jew and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He's saying, Peter, you have experienced something in Jesus. You have experienced a freedom, a hope, a new identity, a new way of life. And through your hypocrisy, you're leading others to believe that that's not a reality. He says, so basically, shape up, Peter. Live what you actually believe. And let others see the true hope of the gospel. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you again for this text. Lord, I'm always, I'm always amazed that so much comes out of just a, a, a little bit. Lord, I know there's, so, there's probably so much more there. And I long for the day that you will pull back the curtain a little bit more for me and show me things. Lord, I hope that what was presented was not in vain and was accurate. Lord, I pray that if anything I've said, Lord, if I've misspoken in any way, that it would be disregarded and that you would teach me. Or maybe you would teach me yourself, or maybe you would teach me through one of my brothers and sisters here to help bring clarity to the way that I understand things, Lord, because we all stand in this same camp together as we're students of your word. And, uh, Lord, help us to be faithful to it. Help us to be faithful to the gospel identity that we say we have. Lord, to become fluent in the language of the gospel, to become fluent in speaking to one another in love, Lord, whether it's in teaching or admonishment, Lord, whether it's in conflict whether if, or whether it's in uh, admonition or, or just encouragement, Lord, just to lift a brother and sister up, recognizing how they are living out the identity that they say they have. And Lord, I thank you for all of these people here. I thank you for our guests. I thank you for our members. I thank you for the children here. I thank you that you've kept us safe. Lord, so many things to pray about. We lift them all to you. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.